Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That's my lovely wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests who try to bring each other to the dark side with the latest news in books and sports. Today's episode, as we all know, is the book episode. Thank God, that was a lot of hockey last time. Yeah, we kind of had a weird layout and format to last episode. I was told I couldn't keep putting hockey before everything else. You were not told by anybody about that. You heard word back from people that we know that listen to our podcast about it, but that doesn't mean that you have to not do the thing. I think it does, but I can't do the thing today because we are doing books. The first bit of book news is kind of sad because Macmillan's Children Publishing Group is closing Imprint, which was a unit they formed in 2014 to focus on branded publishing, new content creation, and acquiring original commercial fiction. I don't like branded publishing, but whatever. All books that have been acquired by Imprint will be published by other Macmillan Children's Publishing imprints. This imprint previously published books by authors like Lee Bardugo, Erin Beattie, and Christina Perez. So, I think this is kind of a sign of the times in that even a big publishing house is having to kind of trim back so that they can keep staying open. You kind of figured that was coming. I feel like a lot of businesses are having to be a lot more lean than they normally are. Right, yeah. And I guess continuing with that idea and continuing to be sad. The Strand Bookstore, one of New York City's legendary booksellers, have written a call for help this week. They admitted that the business has had a massive financial decline as a result of COVID and is close to shutting down. And this is one of those bookstores that as a book nerd, you're like, I want to go here at some point. Like, I specifically want to travel to this location for this bookstore. Like, when we went to Paris and I made a stop at Shakespeare & Co. Like that. So you don't think anybody's not going to come in and just buy up the location and keep it open? Because, like, if it's that big of a thing... I don't know, because basically their revenue, according to their owner, Nancy Bass Wyden, said in a letter on Twitter that... It has gone down by 70% compared to 2019. And that is a bookstore that people want to go to specifically to go in. But it's driven by tourism to an extent. And New York is having trouble with that because no one's allowed in without quarantine. Yeah. And it's a tough time to be a bookstore owner, but specifically places that are used to having that tourism. And... I mean, there's a chance it could be saved, but it's been owned by the same family since 1927, so I don't know. And there's a direct quote from the owner in this letter that they published on Twitter. It said, we've survived just about everything for 93 years. The Great Depression, two world wars, big box bookstores, ebooks, and online behemoths. So they basically sent out a call to help save the bookstore and they said that they want people to not like donate or anything they want people just to buy books from them whether it's online or if you're in new york actually in the store i would be sad if this place disappeared before we got a chance to go there so what you're saying is we need to use our flight miles points and fly to new york and break quarantine laws i don't think i said any of that but 
State of I New mean, York, we're kidding. We're not going to show up. We promise. Don't think we're going to be there. But maybe we are. I mean, we are going to take a break during Thanksgiving week and not record then. I will be working all of Thanksgiving week. Dang it. Oh, well. I probably shouldn't admit to breaking the law on the podcast anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I hope that this basically, like, call to action helps save the bookstore. It'd be really sad if this place shut down after 93 years. Right. COVID's hitting everyone pretty hard, but I think especially places like that. It's it's always sad to see, like, places like that get so affected by it. They're, like, literally a staple of the book-loving community. Yeah. It's actually going to be in a movie that's coming out. Dash and Lily is coming out on Netflix on November 10th, I think. And the Strand Bookstore is kind of in the background of their story. And so I'm hoping between the call to action and seeing the Strand and maybe that will help save the bookstore. Right. As far as celebrity news goes for books, Natalie Portman is set to release a children's book. It's going to be inclusive fables, is what she said. She's tweaked three classic children's stories, which include The Tortoise and the Hare, The Three Little Pigs, and Country Mouse and City Mouse. And she worked on making them gender inclusive. She basically said that a lot of these fairy tales, fables, aren't inclusive enough for her family. Like, she's got a daughter, she's got a son. She wants them to see examples of themselves in the stories that they're reading. That's cool. I I always like like retellings or reimagining of this sort of thing. So that could be good. Yeah, definitely could be good. Technically, Natalie Portman's Fables came out on October 20th. So about a week prior to this podcast coming out. And I'm, I'm sort of frustrated as someone who does podcasts that things like this aren't making it to me before they're happening. Right. And it's mostly celebrity books that this is happening with. And I don't know if it's just because they're relying on celebrity to get these books sold versus relying on word of mouth and the usual way books get sold through like advanced reader copies and stuff like that. And then the last piece of news news I have is about an adaptation. HBO is going to release a limited series adaptation of The Sun by Joe Nesbo. Okay. The Sun is a novel about vengeance following Sonny Lofthus, Lofthouse, who is serving time for crimes he didn't commit. It will have Jake Gyllenhaal to play the lead role. Okay. And he will also be an executive producer. Hmm. I haven't seen him act in a, long in time. a while, yeah. so we'll have to see how that goes. I feel like the last one he did was where it was like that time-turning train movie or whatever that he was a part of. And last I checked, that didn't do that well, so... The I've never heard of that, and all I can think of is the animated kids movie, The Polar Express, which sounds no. very wrong. No, 100% wrong, but yeah, no, it it was a weird movie, to say the least, and I, I've only seen bits and pieces of it, and I'm glad that stayed that way, but at the same time, it's it's a little strange. But because of the way we release the podcast, this one will come out on Thursday, right before a new month. So I thought I would go ahead and talk about all of the November releases that have a lot of buzz or I'm excited for. Some of these I've pre-ordered. One of these I've already read. So the first one coming out that I'm excited for is All I Want for Christmas by Wendy Loggia. Loggia. Okay. I had problems saying that last name last week. 
And it is a standalone Christmas YA, like, contemporary romance sort of thing. There is a mystical element that I did not expect that came in, like, the last two chapters. So that was unexpected. But I had rated it 3.75 stars when I read it this past week, and I can talk about it more then. And then the next one I'm excited about also comes out on November 3rd. It's Instant Karma by Marissa Meyer. And I love this author. I have read a lot of what she's put out. Okay. I think the one you'll most remember me talking about is the Renegades series, sitting right here on my favorite shelf. Okay. But this time she is doing a young adult contemporary romance, which is not her usual. So we'll see how she does with that. It's about a girl who is suddenly gifted with the ability to cast instant karma on those around her and both good and bad ways. Okay. So as far as I know, that's also a standalone. So most contemporaries are. And another one that is going to have a lot of people talking is Chasing Lucky by Jen Bennett. This one's coming out on November 10th. I have it pre-ordered, so it is currently on its way to me. It is a standalone, but it was originally slated to publish this past spring. Okay. But it got pushed back, as a lot of things did when COVID hit. And this one is about a budding photographer who has lived with her single mother moving from city to city when they have to return to their historical New England hometown to run the family bookstore. Josie knows it's not forever, and then things happen. Oh, man. I was reading through the synopsis, and I was like, oh, no, I don't want to go into all of that because I don't want to give away lots of the plot, which it seems like more and more of the plot is given out as people decide whether or not they want to read it. Gotcha. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Basically, she's <laughs> this girl and her mother are used to moving city to city and they have to settle down for a little bit and run a bookstore. Yeah. I would say this episode gives no spoilers, but there will be spoilers in the things I'm going to talk about. Well, with new them. releases, you really, really don't want to do spoilers. Right. And another book that I've pre-ordered also coming out on November 10th is From a Certain Point of View, Empire Strikes Back. This is the anthology of stories set during Empire Strikes Back from background characters' perspectives. I'm actually kind of interested in this. Now, I didn't... This is technically the second one in the series. It is probably going to keep going, but... I have some authors who I really like are writing for this one, so I went ahead and got it. And I understand Star Wars enough that I don't think it's going to be bad for me to have not read the previous certain point of view book. Yeah, as long as it's not the same authors writing about the exact same character's point of views, because that could be a little weird if it wasn't like that. Yeah. And then there is a new Margaret Atwood coming out on November 10th as well. This is a standalone poetry collection called Dearly. It is the first poetry collection from Atwood in over a decade. She's written a lot of things, but I guess hasn't come out with new poetry in a while. Okay. And one that a lot of people have been waiting for is Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson, which is coming out November 17th. It is number four of the series for the Stormlight Archive. I have not read this series, but this is a famous author and a book that people have been waiting to come out for three years. It's been three years since the previous book came out. 
Right. And he's always working on different series and different books and different things. So they've been waiting a while, the people who like Stormlight Archive. So that's a big one. Another big one is The Burning God by R.F. Kuang coming out November 17th as well. It's number three of the series of The Poppy War, and it's the final book. So this is like a big name author and a big like finale coming out. Mm -hmm. And then one that I don't give up about, but other people do, (laughs) is Ernest Cline has come out with number two of the Ready Player One series, and it's going to be called Ready Player Two. Creativity at its best. (laughs) I hate that book so much. And then, like, he can't even have any sort of creativity at all. But it comes out on November 24th. Ready Player One is a book with a bunch of 80s pop culture references set in the future with virtual reality games that eventually lead to basically inheriting a lot of money and property and crap like that. It sounds more interesting that way than actually reading the book. (laughs) I also don't like how misogynistic he is in his writing, but if I say that, I'm a hyper-feminist, apparently. I don't mind. I'll be a hyper-feminist. You're definitely not that, but yeah. But those are the biggest, or the ones that I'm most excited for coming out in the month of November. I really thought November wasn't going to be a big month because a lot of the stuff that I was excited for came out in September and October. But then like finales for series and like new poetry for the first time or a book people have been waiting three years for. Those are all coming out as well. So yeah, big month November. Kind of makes some sense. At this point, you realize everybody is going to be at home, so we might as well do well, that. a lot of these have been set for publishing since, like, February, so. Yeah. As far as what I've been reading, I did a no-no, kind of, this week, <laughs> in that I told myself, and I told you guys, I was only going to do two books a week so that I could properly focus on what I'm reading and I don't overwhelm myself. And then I finished my two books in four days and had three days left in the week. So I read another book. And originally I was going to start Half-Blood Prince this week, but knowing me and how I am, I would have tried to rush it and finish it in those three days. Yeah. So I just picked a book off of my TBR shelf and read that instead. So the first book I read was In the Study with the Wrench by Diana Peterfrund. It's a new release from October 13th. It is the second book in the Clue Mystery series. I rated it 3.75 stars, which is lower than I was anticipating. I thought I was going to love it because I enjoyed the first book so much. Right. But this has less of an isolated closed circle mystery aspect than I thought it would. And it heads in a direction I wasn't expecting. And normally that wouldn't be a bad thing, but I didn't enjoy the direction that we went And basically, in the first book, you have the headmaster, Mr. Body, murdered during a storm when there's only a handful of students and staff still on campus. Okay. And, like, that was excellent. I absolutely loved it. For the second one, you've got more of, like, stalker vibes. Like, creepy things are happening. Okay. In the week where the students are coming back from Christmas vacation. And... Maybe it's because I know these characters from the first book or something, but all the creepy and weird things that were happening, I knew who it definitely wasn't. 
So I was less questioning what was happening and who could do this and who could do that. Because I was like, well, it's definitely not these three characters because I know them and I trust them and I understand their characters enough to know that they wouldn't do this, especially after what had happened in the previous book. Right. So... I don't know. I enjoyed it less, but I still rated it pretty highly. 3.75 is still a good rating for a book. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes with the last book. The last book's coming out some point next year. I don't think it's been announced yet. But I might do a reread of those first two and see if that changes anything before the next one comes out. Makes sense. And then the second book I read was All I Want for Christmas by Wendy Loggia or Loggia or whatever I said last time. And it is a NetGalley arc, so the book is coming out November 3rd, so the Tuesday after this release of the podcast. I rated it 3.75 stars as well. It is a YA, like, I would call it a rom-com almost, like romantic comedy, contemporary. It's happening a couple weeks leading up to Christmas and Christmas, and this girl loves Christmas, her whole family loves Christmas, and they go all out for Christmas, and she works at a bookstore, which I can appreciate. Obviously. Because she loves books. Yeah. And basically all she wants for Christmas is that perfect under-the-mistletoe kiss. Yeah. But currently she has no love interest, and no one's interested in her. And that's where we (laughs) start the novel. (laughs) And she ends up coming to a point where she's met two guys, and she's interested in both of them. And she thinks they're both interested in her. And so she's sort of going back and forth about who she likes, who she doesn't like. So, like, the character work makes a lot of sense because it seems like a teenage girl. It's a very teenage girl problem to have when you have two crushes and you don't know what to do about it. And so, like, that was fun. I didn't like the magical aspect that came in in the last two or three chapters. Okay. I didn't see any breadcrumbs that really would lead to this. So, like, it just seemed to come out of nowhere. And then on top of that, one of the boys that she ends up having a crush on, I felt like he was kind of creepy in the beginning. And that might just be, like, the mom part of my brain. I'm not a mom, but, like, I have that part of my brain as a 31-year-old that's like, is that a red flag? That looks like a red flag. It's rectangular. It's in the shape of a flag. It could be pink. I'm not sure. It's just not not a thing we should be uh, having, to say the least. And so I think I was less invested in one of the sides of the crush just because, to me, there was a part of my brain that's like, red flag, red flag. So... That took away from it a little bit. But it's a cute rom-com. It happens at Christmas. Everyone loves Christmas. Yeah. There's a lot of little Christmassy elements. They go to a Christmas tree farm. They do a cookie crawl sort of situation. Everyone's decorating for Christmas. Right. So, like, that made my heart happy. (laughs) It's good. I am ready for Christmas now. You, You don't say. Yeah. Says the person that wakes up every morning and plays Christmas music through the whole house. You know what? I didn't need to be seen like that. Everybody knows. Yeah. Welcome to a family, guys. But also, yes, that is accurate. (laughs) And both of those books I read in two sittings per book. So, like, I sat down and read, and then I sat down and finished it. Right. And so that left me with three days 
to continue reading. I didn't want to force myself to try to read all of Half-Blood Prince because that would be over 200 pages a day and I have other things in my life. What? I know. Shocking. Yeah. And so instead I picked up a smaller book and it was Ace of Shades by Amanda Foodie. I rated this four stars. It is a backlist book from 2018 and it's... I don't like the way people pitch this book because they pitch it as like Las Vegas plus Six of Crows and like gangs and infighting and all this stuff and like a magical element. And if you want me to hate something, compare it to something I already love because I am most likely going to hate it. It's kind of like the remakes of movies that have come to exist where you're just like, I already love this. Why are you trying to ruin it? Yeah. yeah. It's like when people compare things to Harry Potter, or The Hunger Games, or Six of Crows. Like, you're working against my brain right now because but- I go into that thinking I'm going to hate it because every time you compare something to something I love, it's wrong. But they do that to get the buzzwords out there and, like, create, like, but I've been But I've been disappointed by that so many times that it actively goes against me whenever you do that so the fact that i got to the point where i rated this four stars says a lot about this book (laughs) i rallied i thought the world building was good i thought the magic system was good basically it's about this girl who has an adoptive mother who has to go into this sin city every few months for work and one time she goes there and doesn't come back. So during the summer in between school years, she is going to Sin City to try to rescue her mother. Okay. And she meets with the one person she knows there to try to track her down. And then sort of silly, fun chaos ensues. And it's got a really intricate magic system where you get your magic from both sides of your family. So you have one blood trait, which is like your main thing. Interesting. And that comes from whatever parent has the more dominant magic. And then you have a split blood magic, which is like the least dominant of the magic that you pick up. And her whole life, she's been told that she has a dancing talent and accounting talent. And she felt like they were really weak because she's never done well in those areas of her life. And then when she comes here, she finds out that maybe her adoptive mother has been lying to her the whole time. Yeah. You go into like the seedy underbelly of the seedy city. So you have gangs, you have mob bosses fighting with each other and... It's actually really good. Like, I don't even think I'm pitching it that well. Like, it's better than I thought it would be. Awesome. And so now I guess I have to finish the series. So I guess I have to buy books. (laughs) Oops. The horror. How awful. And that really happens because I did a book buying ban for a few years. And I've been working on taking care of my TBR shelf to the point where I'm in the single digits now of books on my TBR shelf. And all of them are first books in a series. So that was bound to happen at some point. I was going to say, eventually it was going to have to happen. So Right. As for what I'm reading next, I started another NetGalley arc. This one is called The Castle School for Troubled Girls. I'm a third of the way through that right now. And it's basically this girl started ditching classes and getting tattoos and like going out at all hours because her best friend died and she doesn't know how else to cope because she can't be 
at school where people are mourning for this kid that they hardly knew who she was actually close to and she can't be around her parents because they never liked him to begin with. And so she's just trying to deal and her parents end up sending her away to a boarding school for troubled girls. But it turns out that just maybe there's something magical going on because it turns out there's also a troubled guys school. Interesting. That they're not supposed to know about. And like the school is really strict and like you have to be asleep by nine o'clock at night and lights are out right before that and like you have to eat with your counselors and you have to go to therapy every day and all this stuff but somehow she manages to find a way to sneak out and that's when she finds out that there's also a boys school and that's all I know so far because I didn't want to read too far into the synopsis yeah so we'll see this week where it ends up going from there And then I also will be finally reading Half-Blood Prince because you finished that this week and we have a movie to watch. We have a lot of movies to watch this week. Well, we also do a Halloween marathon every year and we kind of have to split it up this year. So we'll be watching movies like every day this week. Pretty much. Because you finished Half-Blood Prince. So next week we're going to be talking about the movie, which I'm interested to see your thoughts about because I still don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I've heard that from a couple of people. Um, one of my employees is also a fellow book nerd like yourself, and he's made it abundantly clear to me that the movie is a weird adaptation. Yeah. And that's that's basically the way he left it. He goes, I don't want to spoil it, but he goes, you either are going to maybe enjoy it or hate it completely. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. I don't know. It just gives off weird vibes compared to the other Harry Potters, so... We'll have plenty to talk about next week, I'm sure. Yeah, Liberty will return with her eight pages of notes for next week. Better than your no pages of notes. I've got them in my brain. (laughs) But yeah, obviously, as she stated, uh, my reading for this week was finishing Half-Blood Prince. You were really into it by the end. At the end, I was like, come on, I need the next chapters. And like, I almost chose sacrifice. Well, I did choose sacrificing sleep. We'll call it what it is. I was awake at five in the morning the next morning to finish it because I could not sleep knowing what I knew and I needed to finish it. You had just read The Lightning Struck Tower and then went to sleep. Yeah. Which. How? Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, I thought I was being a responsible adult and I realized that I was being an irresponsible reader. That's exactly what you were doing. (laughs) We are ashamed of you on this podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm sure some of our listeners are a little bit too, but who cares, I guess. I'm sorry, guys, but yeah, I let you all down. But yeah, there's a lot that went on in this book and some things that like I literally would stop reading. And as you know, I do listen to music from time to time when I read to keep outside distractions from the wife away from me. That's magic is what that is. Yeah. And it works real, real well for me. But there are a lot of times that I forced her to pause whatever she was watching and I paused my music to be like, why did this just happen? And we had to talk about it. Yeah. Obviously you had the Memorial of Aragog, which was, I don't know. Did you not like that scene? I did and I didn't. And I think the reasons predominantly being is... I don't like seeing Hagrid sad. No, no. Usually, like, I I normally enjoy scenes with a little bit of manipulation in it, but because he's using, you know, the good luck serum, the Felix Felicius, or Felicis, however you want to say it. I'm probably saying that wrong and again, getting judged. But I don't know, like, I enjoyed it and I didn't because I really don't like, because of our relationship, the idea of manipulation existing just because of 
our previous relationships, your previous and mine, I would just don't want to go into that, I guess. But for that reason, I don't like the way the scene really played out because I felt like Harry was like, we're getting this them overly drunk and I'm going to get what I want. Like, right. And yeah. I, I didn't enjoy that. I think it plays off in the movie as funnier rather than manipulative. And it's kind of like Hermione says, where you have to like tweak the circumstances to get what you want. Right. And like that plays into a darker side, I think, of both that situation but also Dumbledore as a character like he wanted Harry to get the memory and how else is Harry gonna get it without manipulation right so if you dig too far into that you start questioning Dumbledore a little bit but we have been most of the last two books let's be honest but well I mean but because of that he's able to find out what horcruxes are how they work, how they're created, you know, why they would be created, all these things, like, just a crazy spiral. And what information Tom actually got Yeah. out of him at the time. Yeah, instead of the made-up weird thing that happened. Yeah. You find out that basically Dumbledore has his suspicions as to what the Horcruxes are. Yeah. And how many there are. And it's crazy to me that, like, this whole time he, like, you know he knew... He had an idea at the very least. And so it's just like, clearly because he already, he's like, well, the two of them have already been destroyed, the ring and this. And it's like, well, if you pretty much knew, why didn't you just make it abundantly clear? Right. Like, honestly, it seemed almost this entire time that Dumbledore was sending Harry on these this mission to get this information, but he already knew the information. No, he wasn't certain, so I guess that's the difference. Well, I think the question he was trying to get answered by having Harry obtain the memory is how many have been made, kind of so he could create this to-do list of we have to get rid of these things so that then we can finally kill Voldemort. Right, and so you know that there's a total of seven of them and that two of them have already been destroyed and that we roughly probably know what the other two are, the Slytherin Locket and the Hufflepuff Teacup. Um, that we. I thought it was more like a goblet. Hufflepuff Cup, I don't know. Okay. It, it describes it as cup in the book, not as goblet. So true, like, true. It could be any kind of cup. I just figured because it's Hufflepuff, maybe it was... A teacup? I don't know. I don't know why my brain went there, but it did. So, sorry to the Hufflepuffs out there that now hate me, but like... You're just seemed... sitting around drinking tea all the time, you yeah, Hufflepuff. Yeah, like, it's just Hufflepuffs, you know. It's no threat, so it's not like they're drinking mead or anything. Oh um, no, that was the worst. <laughs> and I'm standing by it, okay? Okay. Yeah, but we know that those two are more than likely options there they seem to be really in a gray area of what the gryffindor ones could be because like the only known relic that dumbledore knows about is the sword and it's literally there so clearly voldemort has not gotten his hands on it but then my brain went down the spiral of like maybe while he was in school there he put a horcrux there and you don't even realize it the problem with that based off the rest of this book is it's very obvious so that he has taken painstaking measures to make sure that the Horcrux remains hidden so that no one could try to destroy it. Whereas, but it would be hidden in plain sight. Nobody would know. And I think that's the reason I was like, but went down that spiral. I think that speaks against Voldemort as a person and like his character because he likes to like secret things away and hide things. Like the fact that a lot of the other Death Eaters don't know who each other are or what their missions are. Like that goes to his... Wanting to have secrets. Yeah, I can see that. So I I don't think he'd be the kind of person who would leave something out in the open like that if that were to be 
But at the same time, he would have that kind of ego to do it too, though, because he does think he's the hottest thing since sliced bread. But he still does fear Dumbledore, and I feel like by the time Dumbledore became headmaster, if your theory is correct, he would have found a way to get rid of it from Dumbledore's office. It's true, probably the case. Because he does fear Dumbledore, at least. Not Dippet, because that guy was a idiot. I don't know much about Dippet, but yeah. He's just the headmaster before Dumbledore. Oh, I, I realize that. But beyond that, that's what I know. But anyways, there's a total of seven, so they know more or less what four of them are, and they need to figure out what the other three are. They think that his snake, Nagini, mm-hmm. is one of the Horcruxes as well. So realistically, they know five of the seven, they just have to figure out the other two. At the beginning of twenty four, chapter 24, you see... Well, Let's be honest, in Chapter 24, you have Ron and Lavender split, and Ginny and Dean split, so everybody's single again, and... It's funny because it happens while Harry is still dealing with the Felix Felicis. Yeah. So it's kind of, like, kind of lucky for you not to have to deal with those couples anymore, Harry. Yeah, it made his life a little bit easier, for sure. And at one point, Harry is, like, just... He's stressed out, let's call it what it is, the Ravenclaw game coming up. Like, that's the big thing on his mind. And beyond keeping tabs on Draco, obviously, because that's, that's the big thing on his mind the entire book, pretty much. Yes. What is Draco doing? Why is he doing it? What the hell? Which we find out, as we will discuss a little bit later. But, yeah, so he tracks him down to one of the bathrooms, and Moaning Myrtle is also there. And he's crying because he's concerned that he's going to get killed and his mom killed and his dad killed and all those things because he's not able to go through with what, like, his plans are not working successfully. Yeah. And Harry comes in there to heckle him, basically. And I'm like, what? Why? I think that wasn't his main purpose for going in there, but that's what ends up happening. Yeah. And so Draco's about to use the Cruciatus curse on him. And Harry uses one of his newfound toys. That he's been waiting to test on one of his enemies, uh, the Sectum Sempra Hex. It chops him up like sliced bread, pretty much. You know, he's bleeding all over the place. Yeah. And in I'm response, not a fan of this chapter. I'm yeah, not a fan I, of this chapter. You told me about it, and at first I was like, why? All the good things are happening. Like, Katie's back, and this is happening, and this is happening. It's all great. And then I was like, oh. Yeah. It, That's a really dark spell for Harry to be using. Well, what's crazy about it is it, that chapter as a whole, like, brings so much happiness to you and then rips it all away almost instantly. As someone who knows a little bit about writing, that's kind of how chapters are supposed to work. Like, you're supposed to go somewhere in a chapter. You're not yeah. supposed to just be happy the whole time. Yeah. It was just, I feel like, on extremes. Like, yeah. from one end to the other of the spectrum. And I think that's what it was rough. Like, if it was, like, oh, we're happy and now we're dark, like, it would be fine. But it was, like, everything is going right. Yeah, that's just... when you should be the most concerned. Yeah, clearly. But Moaning Myrtle loses her mind. She's screaming bloody murder, literally, because like, she thinks that's what happened. Exactly. Um, and Snape shows up because he hears the screaming. And Snape immediately knows what it is, which we'll get into later. Because I don't think they know at this point. No, okay, that's what I thought. That is later in the book. And is able to heal Draco within reason. And it definitely seems like it's because he's a professor and super knowledgeable. He's played in the dark arts. He knows a lot about them. He should know how to recover from certain spells. Right. 
And then he basically goes, Harry, you stay right here. Don't move a muscle. I'll be right back. I'm going to take Draco to the medical wing so that like he can actually get proper attention beyond just me knowing this basic counter curse, more or less. Yeah. And Harry does it, which the first time I read it, I was surprised. But at the same time, it's like he knows who did it. It's not like you could really hide. Mm-hmm. It's not like, hey, somebody ran out the door. Plus, they're known enemies. Yeah. So he comes back and basically demands that he go and get his potions book because obviously Snape has an idea as how the heck he even knew about this curse. Right. And so as he's running, like he's sprinting full speed to the common room to try to buy as much time as he could, like, you know, instead of walking, you know, what the timetable would be. And he trades books with Ron and then runs to the room of requirement and dumps his book off and where he notices the, um, gosh, I'm blanking on the term, the wardrobe. Vanishing cabinet? Yes, the vanishing cabinet. Mm-hmm. He notices that that's there in the room of requirement and it's not in pieces anymore. Um, there are also other things that were in that room at that time. Yeah, but that was the key one that I tried to hold on to. What else? I'm vaguely mentioning that there were other things that were also there at that time. Yeah. And that's all I'm saying. Yeah. What other things? I can't tell you. Oh, okay. Because they're going to affect what I do next in the yes. next book? Okay. Fantastic. Um, so... He sets it down in there and returns to Snape and goes, this is my potions book. Yeah. And Snape's like, sure, I'm not stupid. Like, I know this isn't yours. And it ends up having like a nickname for Ron in the book. Well, he had a self-spelling quill that was losing its charm. And so instead of spelling Ron Weasley, it says Runal Waslib. Yeah. And he's like, that's my nickname. Yeah. And then he it's has like, to. How ex- dumb do you really think Snape He has is? to try to explain what a nickname is. Yeah. He's like, I'm not stupid. I know what a nickname is. Yeah. And in response, Harry gets detention for every Saturday until the end of the school year. He's lucky that's all that happened, to well, be perfectly like, honest. McGonagall gets involved, and McGonagall's like, You're lucky that's all you got. If it was me, it would have been much worse. He could have been expelled. That is a dark spell that you're just waving your wand around willy nilly. You're. In your sixth year, you should know better than to just do spells, especially ones that say four enemies. Like, it says that in the book, four enemies. Yeah. And uh, that's my Hermione soapbox moment. Yeah. There were plenty of those in this book as well. At least it wasn't about the uh, house elves anymore. Mm-hmm. But Harry gets his first attention, which is during the match against Ravenclaw. Yeah. So Ginny is the seeker against Cho Chang. And all I could think was, man, don't you wish you could have been there for that? Girlfriend against ex-girlfriend? Well, at the time, they weren't boyfriend and girlfriend yet, but yeah. Yeah, eventual. Um, Girlfriend, yeah. Crush against ex-girlfriend? Yeah. And he realizes as long as he's been there, basically, like, I should go over what his detention was. He's basically reorganizing all the punishments that have been brought down upon people for things that they've done in the history of Hogwarts. Well, he's rewriting the ones that are now illegible. Yeah. It's just like, that is an awful punishment. Not as bad as like what went on in the last book, obviously, with Umbridge, but still like, it's not a fun thing to do, to say the least. But I thought the funny part was that he got to, in this first detention, see all the punishments that his dad and Lupin and so forth got into. Snape's trying to do that to, like, get under Harry's skin, and it does. But, like, for me, I'd be like, oh, that's hilarious. I need to try that one. Yeah, like, exactly. I don't know. I don't know that that would have been as grueling of punishment as Snape 
planned it to be. Yeah. Yeah. The punishment is clearly just the amount of hours he was there and the things he was missing and having to write things out by hand. Like, that just wears on people. His first detention finally ends, and Harry's come to the conclusion that the match is clearly over. He's heard all the people go back to the different areas that they're going. He gets back to the common room, opens the door. Jenny runs up immediately and hugs him because everybody's celebrating, and they're like, we did it, we won the cup, blah, 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 blah. And in response to the hug, Harry just drops a kiss right on her, just like, bow, kisses. It's just like, what? Uh, in my notes, I literally have, what, 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 what? So, well, I mean, she's liked him forever, so I mean... Yeah, but you wouldn't know it in the more recent books. Like, it, it's not as shown in the last two, for that matter, this one and the previous one. It's definitely not nearly as apparent, but immediately the rumor mill starts. Like, how long has Harry been seeing Ginny, and why are we just finding these things out, and blah, 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 blah. And Ron basically, like, looks upset, but he's like, you know what? If it had to be somebody, I'm glad that it's who it is. Yeah. Which made me think maybe he had a little Felix still left in him, but I know that that's well gone no. at that point. <laughs> if he had any left, that spell would never have happened. Yeah. Later on in the next chapter, Harry runs into a drunk Trelawney after he gets a letter from Dumbledore to meet him because Dumbledore has possibly found one of the Horcruxes. And in the process learns that Snape is the one who overheard the prophecy made by her to Dumbledore because Trelawney has kind of gone down a dark binge cycle. She's leaned into her alcoholism a little bit. I would say more than a little bit. <laughs> She's trying to store her sherry bottles in the room of requirement, and that's where Harry finds her. So, yeah, that was a weird scene. A drunk, drunk Trelawney is something I never want to see again. Yeah, no, it's weird. Yeah. She's already weird as it is. She doesn't need alcohol involved with her weird. Yeah. Then you have the scene where, obviously, he gets back to Dumbledore's office. He goes over the fact that he has possibly found one of the Horcruxes in the cave where Voldemort tortured the two kids while he was still on the field trip uh, with the orphanage children that he was with at that point in time. And he's pretty certain that there's a chance that it's stored there. In response, Harry's like, I know about Snape. Starts losing his mind, like, about how he was eavesdropping and how Snape is clearly not to be trusted and all these things. Uh, and then goes into what Trelawney also told him about how she was attacked the second she got into the room of requirement to put the, the sherry bottles there. He's certain that Draco was involved with it because who else would be there? Draco's not on the map, so it had to have been him. Dumbledore is kind of just like, we've been over this. Stop this crap. Like, you're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Neither of them are up to anything. I will let the people know, like the professors know, that I'm leaving and you're leaving and that we're going to go do these things and they need to secure everything. And so Harry's like, all right. And Dumbledore goes, now go collect your stuff and meet me at the front entrance and we'll go do our thing, basically. And when Harry gets back there to collect the invisibility cloak, he gives the last of the Felix to Hermione and Ron and tells them to communicate with the rest of the DA to be on their toes and keep an eye out for what's going on with Draco and his lovely group of crew, I guess. Crab and Goyle. Keep an eye on him. Here's the map. Here's the Felix. Good luck. Yeah. I'm leaving. They have to apparate out of Hogsmeade because obviously you can't apparate from Hogwarts. As Hermione has so kindly reminded them dozens of times. And they get to this town and they have to walk to the coastline. And it's not even like a nice shiny beach. Like when they describe it earlier on, it almost seems like they were all at the beach and they just explored this cave without everybody else. 
but like the way to get to it seems nearly impossible for how the hell even three children with ma- like three children and one with magic how did they get there magic clearly the thing with this is you're supposed to see that Voldemort has always had this sort of more powerful than you would think side to his magic right it's definitely the weirdest scene to me because it just seemed weird that like at that age how does he have that much power over people but like and then nobody's thought no maybe he's a bad kid oh i think plenty of people thought he's a bad kid they all thought he's not my problem yeah at least when he was not at hogwarts yet yeah either way they get to the inside of the cave and it's just a solid wall stone wall and harry's like well that was fun i'm glad we came all the way here for nothing dumbledore's like you're not wise with the force type of like, speech, you know, type of thing where it's just like here. This is why he is the Padawan. Yeah. And sorry for that crossover, but it just seemed to make sense to me. And that's why I put it in my notes. Sorry. Right. Uh, Dumbledore finds this invisible entrance and realizes that it needs a blood offering for it to open. So it opens and it opens up to this like cavern at this point with a giant lake in the middle of it. To the point where it's like you can't even see the middle of the thing. Yeah. You just see like a glowing light coming from somewhere in the abyss which kind of makes sense because it's a dark cave right it would be weird that there would just be like one light source way the heck out in the middle of this giant thing and again harry's like so how do we get there and just you know he's about to be like do we swim and Dumbledore's like no that's clearly not how we get there well he's able to find the magic where there shouldn't be but there is yeah and ends up dredging this boat that was underwater attached to a line that was also underwater they both get in the boat and he's like good thing you're not a fully equipped wizard at this point because otherwise this probably wouldn't work yeah and all i could think was he just called you incompetent congratulations harry a little bit like he just said you're not 17 yet that's all he's trying to say yeah you're not a fully qualified wizard just means you're under the age of 17 right so the boat starts moving across the, the black water and they get to this island uh, after a while. <laughs> it wasn't instant by any means. As they're going through the water, you start to see like people swimming under the water surface. Like they can't, they can't break the surface. You see them at one point, I think, right? They're not swimming. Yeah, they're just floating about more or less in the abyss. No, no. Enlighten me then. I'm waiting. You see bodies under the water. Yeah. Either way, they get to the island, and there's a goblet with a fairly large goblet. We'll call it what it is, I guess. It's not a goblet, it's a basin that is full of a potion that they have to dip a goblet into to get the potion out. They have to make the goblet magically appear because there isn't a goblet there. Correct. They at first try a couple different methods to trying to get to it and then realize that the only method is to drink whatever is inside of it. Yeah. And Dumbledore goes, this is one of those moments that I told you that you have to listen 100% to everything that I'm saying and do exactly what I tell you and force me. To continue to drink this, no matter how bad it gets. And so Dumbledore starts drinking it. It gets real dark. Yeah. Like, Harry has to trick him into drinking it. Like, it's almost done. You know, like, for like three or four full goblets worth of this stuff still. And then Dumbledore's like, kill me. And he's saying, this will kill you. Drink this, it will kill you. Yeah. Like, that's real dark. Yeah. I didn't enjoy that scene so much. No. Yeah. As Dumbledore is more or less blacking out from drinking this stuff. He's like trying to ask for water and Harry's trying every spell he can to make it work. But as you're drinking whatever potion is in there, poison wise, it 
seem to put some type of curse on whatever drinking method you would have to not allowing it to fill with water. So I, th- I think there's just a spell on the basin that makes it so that nothing but that potion can be in the basin. That's how it comes across to me. But even Harry's trying to use a water potion on just the goblet and it still wasn't working. So Harry grabs the goblet and then starts scooping water out of the lake and... The bodies more or less come back to life. They're the Inferi, right? Inferi. Inferi, sure. It's the same pronunciation. Well, different pronunciation, same spelling, I guess. But either way, they start coming slowly towards the island and start coming up on the island. And Harry's trying to do whatever magic he can because Dumbledore is more or less incapacitated on this island with him. And he's completely surrounded. And Harry's like, Magic, 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 please just leave me alone. Go away. Nothing is working. Yeah. Like, he's slowing them down, but by no means is he solving his problem. And conveniently, Dumbledore gets just enough back to himself to create a fire ring around the two of them to keep the Inferi away. And the ring basically follows them to the boat and onto the boat as they're going across the lake back to escape. They also grabbed that locket before they left. Obviously, yeah. yeah. They get to the other end as they're trying to leave. Obviously, they need another blood donation because the door is closed. Yeah. They get out and Dumbledore's like, I don't have enough oomph or power to get us back to Hogsmeade. And Harry's like, don't worry. I've done this thing once. <laughs> like, let's just try this apparition thing. Not only apparition, side apparition. So yeah. he has to take Dumbledore with him. Yeah. Technically, Dumbledore can help with apparition, but he can't get them both there. So they apparate and appear back in Hogsmeade. When they arrive, they notice the dark mark over Hogwarts. And obviously that's not a good thing. No. Ever. I was under the impression, and this is one thing that bothered me about it, I was under the impression that you had to kill somebody to do the dark mark? You can do the dark mark whenever. And then kill somebody? You can do the dark mark whenever. Yeah. You just have to know the word to cast the spell, the incantation cast the spell. But what was usually SOP for the Death Eaters was that they would only do the dark mark over houses where they have killed. Yeah. So that leads you to believe when you see it that someone is dead at Hogwarts. Needless to say, lots of fun. But then Rosmerta comes out of the three broomsticks and she's just like, I was closing up for the night and I saw the dark mark and I heard you guys apparate back. So I came running out here. You know, what can I do? What can I do to help? Dumbledore's like, we need two brooms. And she goes, I got them in the back. Let me go get them. And then Harry's like, I got you, fam. Yeah. Osseo Rosmerta broomsticks. Yeah. And they both come zipping to them. As they're flying towards Hogwarts, Dumbledore is like mumbling some kind of incantation to remove basically the protective barrier from being able to fly into the Hogwarts facilities, I guess, is the best way. Well, it's supposed to keep brooms from flying between the barriers. Yeah, towards the astronomy tower, because that's where the dark mark is. And they both land on the tower, and there's all sorts of like commotion being heard downstairs under from far away, more or less. I don't know if it was like a disturbance of the force moment, but there wasn't really a lead-in to this person coming up the stairs. And then the, like the door opens and Dumbledore basically forces Harry into a freezing position like he can't move. 
And in response, he was delayed in whatever attack could have defended the two of them mm-hmm. from Draco. And Draco uses Expelliarmus and shoots Dumbledore's wand over the ramparts. I think Draco was able to see them flying in. I don't think he just out of nowhere decided to come up the stairs to yeah. the top of the tower. Realistically, he had to have been. Because, like, he was, as we learn, put after Draco's, like, big brag, more or less, put Rosmerta under the Imperius curse. And that's how all the things that happened in Hogsmeade kind of were happening. So. Yeah. Which is crazy to me because, again, like, I I knew Draco had magic capabilities. I didn't think he was going to be doing things like that necessarily to that level. And in fairness, JK kind of leads you to believe that through the entire book, more or less. Like, that he's dark, but, like, is he dark, dark? There's a lot of talk that Harry and Draco are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. They were both in positions where their families kind of created who they are. And, like, because of Voldemort... Draco is, like, the dark side, and Harry is, like, the lighter side. Yeah, the yin and yang. And so, Draco could have easily gone the other way if his family wasn't so into Voldemort and Death Eaters and all that crap. Yeah, and the whole time Dumbledore was like, you're not going to kill me. Why are you talking this big game? Like, you're not going to do anything. And Harry's just sitting there like, what are you doing? Why are you talking trash to him right now? Like, he's got you in a position where, like, if... Dumbledore would just release Harry, everything would have changed. Everything. And I'm sure Dumbledore had to die for a reason. Like, it's one of those, like, super deep moments where it's just, like, this needed to happen for Harry to be Harry in the end, but still. How to discuss this without giving things away. Right. Um, so the most obvious answer to why Harry has to stay under the cloak while this whole confrontation is happening, yeah. the easiest answer I can give you is that Dumbledore has to let Draco make the attempt in order to try to save Draco from a worse fate yeah. from Voldemort. Because he was given this, basically, a suicide mission because he wasn't meant to ever achieve it. It was to put his family through the torture of, like, the whole thing. But then you also had Draco, who he's, like, a throwaway for Voldemort. So, like, whether he achieves it or not, Voldemort can do whatever he wants to him and his family. So, it's just to keep Voldemort from taking out his anger on Draco. Right. And there's something that I think they talk about. No, they don't. Okay, I'm glad I didn't go into that. There are other factors at play. Got it. Either way, Draco more or less seems incapable of doing it. A couple of the Death Eaters come up to the top. I was going to include all their names, but like most of them are characters that you have not even seen in the book. So, like... You will see in the next book. Yeah. Uh, I figured as much, because otherwise, why did you even name them? They could have just said, Death Eaters arrived. They're all sitting around like, fine, I'll kill him. And it's just like, no, it has to be him. Like, it can't be anybody else. It has to be him. And at a certain point, like, you hear somebody else coming up the stairs, and it's Snape. Snape arrives, basically goes, do it now, or don't do it, and I'll take care of it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Draco's basically just frozen up. He can't do it. So Snape kills Dumbledore. Yep. And I rioted. Yeah. And I'm sad that that's where I stopped that night. Yeah. There are things I can't tell you, but the scene is important. Yeah. 
I started playing 20 questions with you that night, and you just told me I'm not answering anything. Yeah. More or less, just because it was like, obviously, there's things still involved with Snape in the other books, which makes sense. There are things with Snape in the other books. There are things with Harry in the other books. There are things with Draco in the other books. There are some things Dumbledore started and then he died that we can't really get into in the other book. So, like, literally, I could not answer any of the questions you asked me. Yeah, you just kind of looked at me with a blank stare like, you'll figure it out. It's also very hard because I have what I call an open face. So every emotion I feel crosses my face. And it's very hard not to just tell you with my face what is happening. You had a good time there. You had a good poker face. I didn't pick anything up. It's good. There are some things I don't think you could have picked up anyway. Next chapter is literally the battle through Hogwarts. Yeah. More or less. It's not the Battle of Hogwarts, don't call it that. No, but the Battle Through Hogwarts. Okay. And a lot of stuff is going on. I'm just going to kind of keep it short and sweet to the point where Harry is basically one-manning his way through Hogwarts as quickly as possible. Trying to get to Snape. Trying to get to Snape and Draco. He finally starts to catch up to him and then starts using Snape's own spells against him. Obviously, at this point, he doesn't realize this. Yeah. But Snape gives him a lesson in it at the end of it all, like... Who do you think the half-blood prince is, you idiot? Like, it was me the whole time. No wonder my own spells didn't affect me, you know? Well, it's not that they weren't affecting him. Just Harry's not as good as Snape is. But what I thought was interesting is you told me after you found out that you were shocked that you didn't think of Snape. I was like, there's been literally no breadcrumbs to lead you to think it would be Snape. I mean, it makes sense now that it was Snape, but literally up to this point, you don't know very much about Snape as a character except for the actions he's displayed in the books. The only breadcrumb you got before that was the mentioning of Eileen Prince. Well, but but that had no correlation with Snape at that that point point, when that was brought up. Yeah. Like, you had a breadcrumb, like a clue about who the Half-Blood Prince is, but it had no tie back to Snape at that point. At that point, right. So... Which you find out during the next chapter. That's, she is his mother, yeah. Yeah. But the sad scene with Hagrid and uh, his puppy being locked up in the burning house. Yeah. That made me sad. There was a lot of emotions being felt in this chapter. Yeah. (laughs) And I could probably talk to you about it for a long time, but for the sanctity of time, we're not going to go into all that because there were ups and downs all over the place. I will say as he's running through Hogwarts to try to get to Snape and Draco, you do see other people fighting and you see that Fenrir Greyback has attacked someone, I believe, at this point. You didn't know who it was in that chapter. And you see all these other duels happening at the same time. And then you see, uh, gosh, what's his name? Neville on the ground. Yeah. (laughs) Harry literally hurdles him to keep going. Like, hi, Neville. Bye, Neville. Yeah. Good thing you're not dead. I'm glad. Still moving. But you do find out after the group of students are all circled around Dumbledore's dead body. Because Ginny grabs him and drags him out, basically. Well, first... You have to realize that Harry pulls off the locket from the body. And then Jenny pulls Harry out of the middle of everything. I keep forgetting about the locket for some reason. You need to not. That's pretty important. Yeah. Jenny's dragging him out because Bill was the one that was attacked by a friend Mary Grayback. He's in really bad shape. Yeah. That hospital wing scene was a tearjerker. 
Yeah. I remember you talking about the part where Mrs. Weasley thinks that Bill and Fleur are no longer going to get married because she probably doesn't want to marry Bill anymore since because the attack. so ugly and scarred and, and all that stuff. And I think that was just a mom feeling protective of her son and worrying that his fiance isn't going to want him anymore because werewolves are treated as not even second-hand citizens. They're, like, down on the bottom near the house elves sort of situation. Yeah. And... They're outcasts from society. And so... I think that's more of a mother's concern, but I do like that you get that bite from Fleur. It's like, I'm beautiful enough for two. Like, it is fine. It was a little, like, egotistical the way she said it, but it was just, it was out of love and confidence that, like, nothing is going to break the two of them apart. Like, they love each other no matter the age gap, which we We talked about last last time, yeah. was kind of weird. And so it's just, like, it was, it brought tears to my eyes that scene because like there were so many emotions going crazy in that previous chapter that my brain was just like boof explosion and so like coming right back into the just the sad it was just like ha like stabbed me right in my side and i just i teared up i didn't completely cry but my eyes got watery yeah you know and books don't usually do that to me so it was well you are at the end of a six book in a series i don't think you've read that many books in a series before no so you're more emotionally invested at that point right and then you also get the scene of tongues going like see it's fine everything's gonna be okay to lupin oh yeah <laughs> like why won't you date me like <laughs> stupid yeah we find out that whole mysterious reason tonks was depressed for the school year is because lupin was shutting it down even yeah. though like tonks was madly in love with him yeah. A lot of people think that relationship came into fruition because so many people were shipping Lupin and Sirius together and J.K. Rowling wasn't a fan of that. And so she inserted Tonks' relationship with Lupin to try to offset that. I'm here for it. Which one? Tonks and Lupin. I think they're good together. I don't see why Lupin in the past couldn't have had something with Sirius before Sirius went to Azkaban. It's possible. But... There's nothing in the canon that goes against that, so. Yeah, you're not wrong it, there either, so. It's possible. Yeah. He, we could have had a bi werewolf, for yeah. all we know. Yeah. And we'll never know, because it's just theory. Yeah. And then, to kind of wrap everything up, you have a funeral scene with Dumbledore. Yeah, that's a hard scene. Yeah, I, I cut out the bit about the minister coming, because it's just like, minister's a word that yeah. I like to use that I don't want to use i really don't like him and i don't think you should get any facetime really but you do get hagrid and grop coming to the funeral which was funny yeah and grop's just like trying to pet hagrid's head and like banging him into the (laughs) ground like hagrid this is how everyone else feels around you yeah now you know yeah and then you have the mer people sing their song and people are just like why like we know it's a thing of honor i'm sure but it sounds awful and you have the centaurs fire the arrows in respect in proximity of the funeral. Yeah. And then Harry does the thing that I don't like and tells Ginny, you need to leave me alone. It's very like an old yeller moment. Like, go away. It's him trying to protect her from Voldemort. He's hoping that Voldemort doesn't know about his feelings for Jenny and trying to keep it that way. Yeah. And then Hermione and Ron split off from everybody and 
Harry's like, I've got to do this by myself. And Ron and Hermione are like, when have you ever done anything by yourself? We're <laughs> always here, stupid. Like, yeah. we're going to be with you through all of this. And if that means that we live with you at the Dursleys, we will. Like, and I was just so proud of the two of them. Like, just putting Harry in this place. Like, yeah. shove it, idiot. We're here for you. We're a team now. Well, and I think at this point they don't really know what to expect. They just know that they're going hunting for Horcruxes. Yeah. The and, unknown is the unknown. And I think the final nail in the coffin there is uh, the whole getting kicked in the face with the fact that the locket that Dumbledore risked his life for... Was fake. Was a fake. And that whoever R.A.B. is had it somewhere. And Hermione's already like, I know, I will start looking for the things for the R.A.B. Like, I'll yeah. look it up for you. I was going to ask you who R.A.B. was, but I realized that it's probably going to come up in the next who? book. Who could it be? Yeah. Someone knows. Yeah. People that have read all the books know. I don't. So uh, please let me keep it that way until what's, I read the book. What's really funny with you reading these so late is that I was there for all the weird fan theories that we've had while the books were coming out. And so, like, you had a theory that Snape was the Half-Blood Prince. Or you said Voldemort was the Half-Blood Prince, not Snape. Yeah. And I'm like, I haven't heard a theory that weird in years because, like... There were theories about who R.A.B. is, and I had heard a theory about who it is, and that theory ended up being correct. And, like, for me, that didn't necessarily take away from it, but when it ended up being who it was, I was like, oh, I'm not shocked. Will you tell me if I've met the character already, or have I not? I will not tell you whether or not you've met this character. Fantastic. So that's a yes. (laughs) Maybe in passing, but anyway... That is not what that means. That means I won't tell you anything. Okay. Your face says otherwise, but yeah. My face is saying a lot of things. That doesn't mean any of them are true. Yeah. But yeah, no, I really, I enjoyed this book and I know it's kind of controversial that I enjoyed this book. I don't think so. I think it's a decent book. It's just not my favorite. I wouldn't put it as my favorite by any means. I just, I feel like we're starting to see things come to conclusion. A lot of stuff is coming around to where you're going to be wrapping up soon and you can kind of get that feeling already. So, Well, and the thing with this one is there are certain things that happen in the seventh that like you're just now introducing in book six. And it's like as many books as there have been, you're just now introducing an idea in book six that has to conclude in book seven. That's bananas. Yeah. Because like this whole mission with the Horcruxes didn't even appear until this book. And like now you find out you have to go on this mission to beat the final boss or whatever. Yeah. You have to go on this adventure and finish the rest of these quests that you didn't even know existed. Right. So, I mean, there have been like, laying down the foundation i mean the first one got defeated in book two so like you just didn't know it was what it was right and she does a good job of like laying things out very early on and then you go back and you go oh crap i can't believe i missed that but of course you did because all the main information didn't happen until book six yeah so it's i'm interested to see not only what you think of the next movie but the next book because people have feelings about the next book yeah I could imagine that would be the case. Well, specifically about the plot, how the plot works, but I can't say anything because you haven't read it. Well, next week we will be going over the film 
adaptation of the book uh, in comparison. So that's a thing. And I don't know what I'm going to read this week. I might actually try to tackle reading The Old Guard. Comic? Yeah. Okay. Just because I want to read something this week. Okay. The Old Guard is really easy to read. I think I read it in less than an hour. Yeah, well, I'm a slow reader, so it'll probably take me a little longer than it's that. It's also but... a bind-up of five comics that are like 30 pages each. Yeah. It's real easy. Either way, I have wanted to do conversation on adaptation between that and the movie, so I feel like, why not this week? Since realistically, all I have to do is watch movies otherwise, so... Yeah. There's not a lot on my plates other than work. Well... Quick note about the old guard. The movie is better than the comics, in my opinion. Okay. And I will give you mine next week. Yes. But thank you guys for listening. I know this might be a little bit of a long one, but we will leave all of our social media linked in the show notes. And we'll catch you next Tuesday for the sports episode. Hopefully it will be longer than this week's (laughs) was because we, we really stretched out to make it last as long as it did. So we will see you then, guys. Bye. Bye.